Okay, <clears throat> good morning everyone. Bruchem Avam. Shalom Aleichem to the Kol Agadapirka of Kew Garden Hills, New York. Thank you everyone for joining this morning. We have a fantastic shear for Parshas uh, Vayeshev and Chanukah. Haba Aleinu Litoiva. So we want to welcome everybody on the Zoom as well as on the uh, telephone. Um, and I thank Rabbi Moskowitz, who was uh, kind enough to post on the chat section of the Zoom. Um, there are two new svarim that are available, um, one uh, for Art Scroll on Hanukkah, and the other one on the Holy Tana Rameir Balhanes. And uh, they're available for order. Uh, the Hebrew Sefer has free delivery. And Rabbi Moskowitz... Uh, was kind enough to post the link to the new website, RabbiDG.com, where you could get all the information about the Svarim and upcoming events. And uh, I want to remind everyone the Shurim are available on TaraniTime.com and are now available on podcast. Okay, so with that... Excuse me. For those people who are on the call, I will be sending you an email with the link since you don't see the chat from uh, Zoom. Yeah, thank you very much, Rabbi Maskwitz. Shkayach. Okay, um, <clears throat> so let's begin. Um, very often, Parshas Vayeshev is the Parsha which is read immediately preceding the Yom Tif of Hanukkah, and this year, the way the calendar comes out, Parshas Vayeshev is the Parsha that we read on the Yom Tif of Hanukkah. So certainly, Parshas Vayeshev will tell us a lot about the Yom Tif of Hanukkah, as it's the introduction, as well as uh, this year, the Parsha of Shabbos Hanukkah. So let's begin with a very interesting question that uh, has been discussed by many authorities, namely, why is there no Masechta dedicated to the Yom Tif of Hanukkah? Hanukkah is a um, one of the longest Yom Tifim of the year, if not the longest, I mean, it rivals Sukkot in Eretz Yisrael. It is as long as the longest Yom Tif of the year. And Purim, which is only one day, has 30 blot in Masechta Megillah. So naturally, we would expect that there would be a Masechta Chanukah, at least 240 blot. And lo and behold, Masechta Chanukah does not have 240 blot because Masechta Chanukah does not exist. Why, in fact... Is there no Masechta in Chanukah? All you have is a few blad in Gemara. You have Halachos in the Rishonim, codified in the Shulchan Aruch, but it's not mentioned in the, um, as a Masechta. Now there are six references to Chanukah in the Mishnah. I remember when I was in seventh grade, the Rebbe would give like a special credit questions, and one of the questions was, where is Hanukkah mentioned in the Mishnah? So we have here from the uh, the Sefer Kamoitse Shalorav. One mention is Bikurim. It says from Sukkot until Hanukkah, you bring Bikurim and your Koire, the Parsha of Bikurim. By the way, part of the mitzvah of Mikra Bikurim, as we say the Pasuk, Are Mimcha Hashem Kidili Soni Veloisi Machta Oivaili. That is one of the reasons why Mizmar Shech Hanukkah Svaiso David is the Mizmar of Hanukkah. Because the, in the, the Mishnah, we bring Bikurim and we say the parish of Mikra Bikurim until Hanukkah. Then we have 
regarding Kiddush HaChodesh during different months of the year, we send out messengers. And during the month of Kislev, we send out messengers because of Chanukah. Regarding Tainus Tzibur, in Mesechta Tainus, we do not decree a fast on the Tzibur on Chanukah. Regarding reading the Maftir in Mesechta Megillah, Parak Gimel Mishnah Dalid, we interrupt the regular scheduled reading of the Haftorah on various days, including Chanukah. Regarding Avelos, we suspend Avelos on Rosh Chodesh and on Chanukah. And to a certain extent, there are certain practices of Avelos that are uh, interrupted. And regarding damages, it says if the storekeeper put his menorah outside, Rabbi Huda is of the opinion, you would be potter. But the question is, Rabbi Isai, why is there no Masechta dedicated for Hanukkah? And it's reported in the name of the Gra, says his son in his Hakdama to Medrash Agadas Bereshis, that he says he heard from his father that besides the seven Masechta Ketanois, there were other small Masechtas, Masechta Tefillin, Masechta Mezuzah, Masechta Hanukkah. Also in the Hakdam of the Rav Pa'alim, he writes similarly that there was a small Masechta, Masechta Hanukkah. But be it as it may, we definitely don't have a regular Masechta, Masechta Hanukkah. Certainly not a Masechta that it's, that's extant. And that sort of begs the question, why in fact is there no full-fledged Masechta for the Yom Tif of Hanukkah? And uh, that brings us, Rabbi Isai, to an amazing uh, analysis by none other than the Shla HaKadosh, Rav Yishaya ben Avram Halevi Horowitz, who lived from 1560 to 1630. He was born in Prague, and he was Nifter in Tveria on the 11th day of Nisan. His grandfather was Rav Sheftel, his father was Rav Avram Horowitz, the student of the Ramah, his father wrote the Sefer Emek Bracha and Yesh Neuchlin. He was a Rav in Prague together with the Kli Yakar. And in 1619 he became his successor. His successor. He was a great Paisik. He was a great Makubal. And he yearned for Israel. The Shlal yearned for Israel. And when his wife died in the year 1620, he seriously thought about moving to Israel. And in 1621... Without telling his family, only telling one or two of his confidants, he didn't even tell his children, he decided to go off to Eretz Yisrael. And as a consolation, he wrote an ethical will that uh, he would not complete in Prague. He completed it after being in Israel a number of years. And the, the Shla Kadosh begins to journey through Germany, through Italy, through Syria. He's w- coming down through the north of Israel. He's offered to be the rabbi in Sfas. But uh, he became the Rav in um, Yerushalayim and uh, with no salary, which is always a good thing for a rabbi to do if he's able to do it. But the Shla was independently wealthy. He was a very wealthy man. In fact, at every meal of his, he would feed 70 Bachure Yeshiva at every single Suda. And uh, when he got, comes to so he became acquainted with the Kabbalistic teachings of Rav Chaim Vital, which uh, were not known in Europe at the time. In 1625, life became intolerable in Yushalayim. And um, 
on Shabbos morning, the 11th day of Elul, 15 Rabbanim were arrested, including the Shla, and they were not released for 15 days. Now, we know the Shla is buried right near the Rambam. And in 1621, upon entering Yerushalayim for the first time, he conceived of the idea of writing a Siddur, which he called Shar HaShamayim, uh, because he entered the gates of Jerusalem on Friday, Parshas Vayetzeh. And uh, one of his motivations for publishing on the Siddur is because a, a Siddur would have the most extensive circulation. So the Shla analyzes uh, the story of Yosef HaTzadik. And the Shla wants to know, he says, I want to be me'oyrer, the, uh, my listeners, my audience, on many great sveikos that is worthy to be uh, aroused and to think about regarding Yosef. First of all, says the Shla, and I'm on uh, number two, he says, uh, firstly, I have a general question. We know the greatness of the Shvatim. It's, we know the Shvatim were very great. They were greater than the heavenly angels. The Shvatim are the secret of the 12 permutations of the yud Vavke. We know Hashem's name yud Vavke. There are 12 ways to uh, mix it around. And they represent the 12 Shvatim. How is it possible that such great personalities should together prepare and plan and orchestrate the worst sin in the world, murder, and to kill Yosef HaTzadik, who is Yitzadik Yisrael Olam? You want, to, you want to say one time one great person made a big mistake and out of hatred he decided to kill someone, but that they should all gather together and uh, in unison come up with this decision to um, to commit this atrocity. How is it possible? Not even the biggest Russia who, who committed many sins would murder uh, another Jew. Meaning among the Jewish people, even someone who commits the most grievous sin would never orchestrate planned pre- premeditative murder. And even furthermore, says the Shla, we know that they wouldn't even so first of all, they, these were great tzaddikim. How could they pre, uh, plan premeditative murder? How could they kill a tzaddik? Furthermore, he's their brother. He's their flesh and blood. We know in Bereshis Rabbah, it says that after uh, the brothers came to appear before Yosef, Yosef could not restrain himself. And he, he called all the Egyptians out. He said, Everybody leave the room because Yosef did not want to shame his brothers. And the Medrash says Yosef did not act properly because if in a private audience one of his brothers would have given him a kick, he would have died immediately. Um, and then the other opinion says, no, Yosef did properly because Yosef knew the righteousness of his brothers. He said, my brothers are not suspect to murder even a mitzri. You hear what? The Medrash is saying, Yosef didn't have to be scared of his brothers because his brothers were not even suspect of killing a Mitzri. So how could the brothers be suspect of killing Tzadik Yisoyed Olam? And here's the biggest question of the day. And that is, Chazal tell us, that after Yosef revealed himself to his brothers, the Medrash says, the brothers wanted to kill Yosef. 
Listen to this. We know that the brothers contemplated tshuva and they regretted and repented for their sin and they said, They said, we're guilty. The brothers acknowledged their guilt. But Chazal say in the Medrash, when Yosef revealed himself to the brothers, the brothers said, Oh, this is Yosef. Let's kill him. Wow, that was really sincere tshuva. <laughs> they're suffering, they're being, uh, they're being accused of being spies by the king of Egypt, and then they admit their guilt, but as soon as Yosef reveals himself, the Medrash says, they want to kill him. Well, wow, what a very sincere tshuva they must have done. Uh, weren't they embarrassed? We know that in order to do tshuva, you have to be ashamed of your sin. What kind of shame... For their sin, do they feel if immediately when Yosef reveals himself, they immediately want to kill him? Another interesting question. We know that all the years that Yosef was in Egypt, Yaakov Avinu, who was a Navi, did not have access to this uh, classified information that Yosef was sold down to Mitzrayim. Why? Because there's a concept, the brothers put God in Cherem. God sat on the court case, and the brothers said, if anyone dares tell Yaakov what we did, they're going to be excommunicated, and they joined the Shechina with them. Says the Shlosh Sheni Kasha, Heim Shitfu Imam, they joined the Shechina with them. Imam, how could the Shechina join with them? We know that Yaakov Avinu on his deathbed, he prayed, I don't want my name associated with Zimri. I don't want my name associated with that terrible sin of Zimri and Cosby. I don't want my name associated with the episode of Kairach. So if Yaakov Avinu did not want his name associated with these grievous sins, namely Kairach, namely the episode of Cosby and Zimri, then how could God allow his name to be associated with the sale of Yosef? Another interesting question. In the whole um, saga, which occupies basically four parashiyos, Vayeshev, Miketz, Vayigash, Mayechi, the two main players were Yosef Atzadik and Yehuda. Why Davka, these two brothers? Furthermore, we know in the beginning of this week's parsha. Who's Yosef hang out with? B'nai Vilho or B'nai Zilpa. Why? Because he accused the brothers of calling the B'nai Vilho and B'nai Zilpa Shvachos, the sons of maidservants. So Yosef stuck up for them. Now, that means Yosef had a very close relationship with the Bnei Bilha and the Bnei Zopa. So I don't understand. I could I could understand why the Bnei Leah wanted to sell Yosef. But why would the Bnei Bilha and the Bnei Zopa, who Yosef was very close with, Yosef saved them from embarrassment. Yosef stuck up for them. Yosef stuck out his neck for them. Why did they not respond in kind and they were also in on the sale of Yosef? Why the Bnei Bilha and Bnei Zopa as well? And furthermore, let's try to understand 
Why did Yosef have to have two dreams? What is the meaning of the two dreams? He had two different visions of grandeur. Comes the Holy Shla Kadosh. And his presentation of the sale of Yosef is uh, personally my favorite. And he says in the Jewish people, we have three institutions of chashivos, of importance. Three kisarim, three crowns. Kesar Kuhuna, Kesar Malchus, Kesar Tyra. We have the crown of priesthood, we have the crown of sovereignty, and we have the crown of Tyra. Regarding Kuhuna, Levi got it. When Levi was born, God sent the Malach Gavriel, and he accompanied him with 24 gifts, and he was called Levi. Kesar Tyra, Yosef got. Whatever Yaakov Avinu learned in the Yeshiva Shem Ve'ever, he gave over to Yosef. But moreover, Rabbi Keser Malchos, Yehuda was Now, I ask you, what is the concept of Malchos in the Jewish people? I thought we're all brothers, no? Hey bro, you know, we're all, uh, we're all Achim, Kulanu Bnei Ish Echad Anachnu. We're all brothers. How could one brother have Gavhus have superiority over another. What is the concept of Malchus and Klal Yisrael? And the Shla Kodesh says, the concept of Malchus and Klal Yisrael is to solidify and be the Meshakef, to project and to promote and to promulgate and to disseminate and to empower Malchus Shamayim. In fact, the concept is that Malchus and Klal Yisrael is a reflection of God's Malchus and gives stability to God's Malchus. As we know, that by the birth of all the Shvatim, it says, Vatahar Vatelet. She conceived and she bore. She conceived and she bore. But by Yehuda, when Yehuda was born, it says, Vatahamoid Miledes. Allah shown of Amida, stability. Because when Yehuda was born, that was the. Uh, Yehuda was the roots and the patriarch of the Davidic dynasty, and that is what gives Amida stability to God's throne. We know that every throne has to have four legs. What are the four legs of God's throne? The first is Abraham, Abraham Avino, the second is Isaac, the third is Jacob, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, and the fourth leg of the throne of God is David. Says the Holy Shla, we'll look at the word Yehuda and you'll see wonders. Yehuda consists of the word Yud Kevavke, because Yehuda and Malchus based David projects God's sovereignty. And then the Dalid represents that Yehuda, David, is the fourth leg of the Kisei Hakavid. Malchus based David, Rabbi Sai, is the projector and gives stability to God's sovereignty. David HaMelech is the Regel Revi. By the way, when David's Malchus is elevated, then God will be sovereign of, over the world. That's why it says, Vayoimahu Yiyah Hashem Echad Ushmoi Echad. Soifei Tevois. Echad Ushmoi Echad is David. The word Yehuda is a wondrous word because you have the Shem Havaya plus the letter Dalet. And therefore, Rabbi Sai,
anyone who starts up with Malchus based David is starting up with God, is starting up with the Shekhinah. Because Malchus based David is what gives stability to the Shekhinah. Malchus based David that comes from Yehuda. Yud Ke Vav Ke plus the fourth letter, which gives stability to God's throne. Says the Holy Shla. When Yosef HaTzadik had dreams and he said that your bundles will bow down to me and So, the brothers say to Yosef, we're going to bow down to you? Who do you think you are? The brother said, Yehuda, the brother said like this, Yosef, you want Kesar Torah? You could have Kesar Torah. Our father taught you the Torah. Levi, you want Kesar Kahuna? Kesar Kahuna belongs to you. But Malchus belongs to Yehuda. How dare Yosef? You have dreams of grandeur. You think you're the king? Sovereignty does not belong to you. Sovereignty belongs to Yehuda. And therefore they deemed Yosef's illusions of grandeur to be a moirid b'malchus based David. That was tantamount to rebellion against Davidic dynasty, which is tantamount to rebellion against God Almighty Himself, the sovereignty of the Malchus Shamayim. And therefore they were able to join God in their cherem. And God participated. Because when Bezdin down here deems somebody a rebel against the Davidic dynasty, that is how it is deemed in Shamayim. Marv Raboisai. This was not what Yosef had in mind. They mistakenly interpreted that Yosef's dreams of power were to usurp the Malchus Beit No. Says the Shla, there is a concept that in order to be a Melech, in order to be a sovereign and a king, you need to have a people, you need to have an Am, you need to have a nation. Ein Melech Beloyam. There's no king without a people. Says the Holy Shla, in order for the people to be reckoned a people, you need a force, you need a a power to consolidate and galvanize the people and unify and unite the people and bring them together to be to, and lay the foundation to create a nation, and then that force will step away and yield to the Malchus based of it. That force, that phenomenon, that uh, power of a spiritual energy, which is needed to galvanize and unite the people, is the Midah of Yesoid, foundation, which is the Midah of Yosef HaTzadik. Without Yosef, we would still be Meshubin and Mitzrayim. Yosef's power was very... Uh, very prominent. Yosef had very great prowess. And God sent us to Rafua before the Makkah. Yosef went down to Mitzrayim before the rest of the Jewish people. 
and therefore he was able to create a welcoming environment for the Jewish people when we came down. He instituted that everyone has to be circumcised. So the true king, says the Shlom, Melech Be'emes, is David Malkeinu. But without Meluchas Yosef, we never would have had Meluchas Yehuda. Because we never would have been an Am. And this is the verdict of history. This is a stream in history which is observed quite often. Even regarding the sanctity of the temple. Before the Beis Hamikdash, which was built by Shloimai, we have Mishkan Shlima, Shl- um, Shilai, which was in the Chelek of Yosef. And even though it was ultimately destroyed, Yosef opens the Tsinar. Yosef is the Shvil. He establishes the connections of Kedusha. And once we have that, once we have the Tsinar, which is called in Kabbalah the Yesoid, the foundation, the Midah of Yesoid, once we have the foundation, we could build Malchus Beis David on top of the foundation of Yosef. And even though Yosef's Malucha dissipates, and even though Yosef's Mishkan dissipates, but it's Kal Ha'olam Nizoin Beshvil Chanina Bani. Once the Shvil is created, Beshvil Chanina Bani, through the, the medium, through the conduit, through the pathway, Yosef is the Yisoid, that is exactly what happened. Once the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, but says Yisroel Mitzrayim, Hoysa Yisroel Mam Shaloisav, Hayom Rav Ayanois. As soon as we left Egypt, we became a people, and it was Hoysa Yehuda Lekadshay. And we're always led by Yehuda, the first Degel to travel. Rishai Nachshon Ben Aminadav jumps in first. But we always need Yosef to pave the way to create the the pathway of Kedusha, it's the same thing in Malchus. Who is the first king of Israel? Not David, Shaul, from Sheva Pinyamin. But that's why he was called Shaul. It was borrowed Malucha. Malucha belongs to no one other than Ledavid o Zaharoi ad Oilam. It belongs to David. Shaul could be Shoyal the Malucha. But... Melucha rests in the hands of Malchus Beistovet, as the Pasuk says. Layasur Shevet Mi Yehuda. And as Abar Benel writes, Ad Hayoim, Malchus Beistovet, Jewish leadership and sovereignty, and for the most part, most Gedoyle Yisrael have emanated from Malchus Beistovet. Whether it was Rashi, whether it was the Rambam, the Maral, the Shla, or the Abar Benel himself. Now, Malchus belongs to David HaMelech and to Shevet Yehuda. And when, when Yosef began to have these dreams that the brothers are going to bow down to him, this was reckoned by his Achim to be a rebellion against Malchus based David and thereby a rebellion against God Himself. Now, what's very interesting, the Shla quotes the Gemara called Now, while this is certainly logical and reasonable, as Malchus based David is the Meshakef, it is the reflection and the projection of the Malchus Shemayim and gives stability to the Malchus Shemayim. The Gemara in Sanhedrin does not quite say that anyone who argues on Malchus based David is like arguing on the Shechina. I'm going to show you in a moment what the Gemara does say. But this, says the Shla, is why 
the Bnei Bilah and Bnei Zilpa agreed to participate in the sale of Yosef. They loved Yosef dearly. They were touched and honored and humbled that Yosef stuck up for them. They had no personal gripes against Yosef. But they halachically agreed with their brothers that Yosef's dreams of grandeur were an infringement and an attack and a challenge on the principle that Judaism rests on. And that is, there is a family from David through which God's sovereignty is recognized. And they too agreed that while they loved Yosef on a personal level, halachically, they paskined objectively that Yosef is a marid b'machos. I want to uh, suggest b'siyata d'shmaya, a very interesting chidosh, that that is the reason why the brothers threw Yosef into a pit of snakes and scorpions. Because the Gemara says in Sanhedrin on Daf Kofiyot, Amar of Someone who's arguing, someone who disputes, challenges the Malchus based David, should be bitten by a snake. It says over here, So I want to say like this. Since the correct and worthy punishment of someone who challenges Malchus based David is they should be bitten by a snake, the brothers pass in this follows. To them it seemed like David and that Yosef in fact was challenging Malchus based David. But they can never be certain. So they said the telltale sign will be we'll throw him in a, in a pit with snakes and scorpions. If he is bit, that will be clear proof that in fact Yosef has challenged Malchus based David. But if the snakes leave him alone, that indicates that he does not deserve this punishment and he is not truly being cholek on Malchus based David. Now, the Gemara does not say if you dispute Malchus based David, it's like arguing on the Shechina. It says if you argue on your Rebbe, it's like arguing on the Shechina. And it says anyone who fights with the Rebbe, it's like fighting with the Shechina. And it says someone who has complaints against the Rebbe, it's like having complaints against the Shechina. So the Shloss seems to be putting these two th- things together, that if arguing on Malchus Beis David should be bitten by a snake, and arguing on your rabbi is like arguing on the Shechina, the Shloss seems to sort of join these two concepts together, that one who disputes the Malchus Beis David is like disputing the Shechina. Now, Marv Rabboisai, Yosef HaTzadik, had no dreams of grandeur of really, in fact, taking Malchus away from Yehuda. His sole ambition was to galvanize the people, consolidate the people, forge them into a nation at which lay the foundation, at which point Yehuda could come in and um, step into his role, his proper role of Malchus. Yosef's dream was only Yesoid. I would like to suggest also the Siyata Dishmaya. That when Yosef, um, ah, so when the brothers listen to this, this is unbelievable, says the Shla. You know, after they sold Yosef and they were having uh, difficulties, they said, oh, must be we made a mistake. Yosef has no dreams of grandeur. He doesn't have ambitions of sovereignty, of rulership, of being a king. We made a mistake. We misjudged. We were misguided. And then they come down to Egypt and they're dealing with a world superpower. Someone who's holding hostage their brother. Someone who's running the world economy. Someone who is a bona fide melech in every sense of the word. 
And now the brothers hear that this Melech HaOilam is saying, Ani Yosef. And then the brother said, We were wrong in thinking we were misguided. Our suspicions have been confirmed. He does have dreams of grandeur. He does want to be the Melech. He is usurping Malchus based David. Let's kill him now. They felt halachically compelled to to act upon their initial psak that Yosef Samarid Bamalchus. So what does Yosef tell them? Yosef says, You're mistaken again. I have no dreams of grandeur. I don't want to be Melech Yisrael. I merely want to lay the foundation. I want to establish the Jewish people as an Am. And then Yehuda, you could step forward and be the Melech. But I would like to suggest, how does Yosef, how, how does he convince his brothers that in fact he doesn't want to be Melech, but he merely wants to be Yesoid? The Chazal tell us, Yosef told his brothers, step forward. And Yosef shows the brothers he has Mila. We know the Mila represents the Mida of Yesoid. Maybe that was the message of Yosef. Yesoid. That's all I want to do. I just want to lay the foundation. I want to lay the groundwork upon which to build the Jewish people and then Yehuda could step forward. This is what Yosef did in terms of Malchus. First came Shaul and then David. This is what Yosef did in terms of the Mikdash. First came Mishkan Shilai and then came the, Mishka, the Mikdash of Shlomai. And then the Shla Kadosh says that this is what will take place in the end of days. Because, says the Shla, there was a time where Yosef perhaps, um, there was a time in history, excuse me, where there were people who overstepped their rights and did infringe upon the Malchus based of it. And that is in the times of Hanukkah. As we know, the Chashmonoim, the Ramban tells us, were Chasidei Elyon, were the most supremely high, pious individuals. The Ramban and Parshas Vachi Vayachi says on the Pasuk, Lo Yasser Shevet Mi Yehuda. Says the Ramban, in my opinion, the kings that reigned over the Jewish people from other Shvatim after David, they violated the will of their father. And they were relying on the prophecy of Achia Shiloni, who anointed Yeravam and he said, I will afflict the descendants of David. However, says the Ramban, when the Jewish people prolonged appointing kings from a different Shevet and not restoring it to Malchus Yehuda, they violated the command, the will of Yaakov Avinu. And the fact that they held on to Malchus, even though they were from other Shvatim, and they did not return it to Yehuda, they violated the will of Yaakov Avinu. And says Ramban, this is why the Chashmonoim were punished. The Chashmonoim ruled during the second base of Mikdash. Says Ramban, they were Chasidei Elyon. And if not for them, we wouldn't be here today and we would not have Torah today. But nevertheless, they were punished severely. As we know, the four sons of the Chashmonoim, who ruled one after another, despite their strength and success, they were all wiped out until the Gemara says in Masech Baba Basra that Hordis was the slave of the house of the Chashmanoim. 
he wanted to marry a certain girl from the house of the Chashmanan. He heard a heavenly voice, I'm a number 10 in Baba Bansar, that cried out, any slave that rebels now will be successful. He got up and he killed out all of his masters. And he left one girl, he wanted to live with this one girl. She went up to the roof and she cried out. And she said, anyone who claims they're from the house of the Chashmanoim is a slave because I'm the last remaining Chashmanoi and I'm going to jump off the roof. And she killed herself. The Gemara says he preserved her for seven years in honey to satisfy his lust. Says the Ramban, the Chashmanoim were obliterated. They were wiped out to the man. Why were they wiped out? Because Yaakov Avinu said, kings shall always remain in the household of David from Shevet Yehuda. And anyone, whether it's the Chashmanoim, or whether it's the brother, whether it's Yosef, who tampers with it, is tampering with fire. Now I will share with you, the Ran and the Abarbanel disagree with the Ramban. And they learn that the Chashmanoim did nothing wrong by being Melech, by being king. And they learn, Layasr Shevim Yehuda means that Torah leadership always rests in the hands of Yehuda. And that which the Gemara Baba Basra says they were all wiped out, it's not so. You have to know how to read the Gemara, says Reb Tzadik HaKain. They tried to wipe out all the Chashmanam. They were in hiding and many of them survived. What this girl meant was anyone who publicly claims they're from the Chashmanam, is lying because I'm the last publicly known Chashmanai and I'm jumping off a roof. But there were survivors of the Chashmanam, says what Sakakain, but the Ramban is of the opinion that the reason why, in fact, the Chashmanam were wiped out, in the Ramban's opinion, is because they violated the command of Yaakov Avinu, Layasur, Shevet, Miyehuda. Now, what the brothers thought. Yosef was doing to Yehuda, the Ramban says the Chashmonoim did do. And the punishment that the Chashmonoim got, the brothers wanted to inflict on Yosef. And we suggested that is the reason why they tested Yosef by throwing him to the snakes. Because, is worthy to be bitten by the snakes. And the fact that Yosef wasn't bitten... That indicates that in fact Yosef did not have dreams of grandeur but he was merely uh, laying the foundation and that's why Yosef shows his brother the Mila. Now, says the Ramban, says, excuse me, the Shlach HaKadosh. And in the parashiyos of uh, Vayigash and Vayichi, it says repeatedly, Shalachani Aleikim Lefnechem. But it says that Yosef says, Vayishalchani Aleikim Lefnechem, God sent me, Lasum Lachem She'eris, to give you a remnant, Ulahacha Yos Lachem, and to bring you alive, Lefleita Gedoyla, a great salvation. So the Shla asks, the Pasuk seems to contradict itself. First it talks about She'eris, which seems to be a humble amount, a, a remnant. And then it says, which is a lot. 
And the Shloss says this refers to the two uh, messenger ships, the, the two stewardships that Yosef is historically sent on. One was when we left Egypt. Yosef forged us to be a people, and then Yehuda took the lead and became sovereign. And that was, so to speak, She'eris. That was a small job. But here's the big job. And perhaps through this job, the Chashmonom will ultimately have Tikkun. Because the Shlach Kadosh says that in the times of Hanukkah, the Chashmonom were punished because they took Malchus. But this will not be rectified until ultimately, before David HaMelech stands up to rule over the Jewish people, there will be a Mashiach ben Yosef. And Mashiach ben Yosef will clear the path. And he will be murdered, Akedah Shemai, for the sake of Israel. And then David will stand up and they're going to try to kill him. But they will not be successful. So Yosef says, now I am paving the way, L'Sha'iris, for the Malchus based David. But L'Asid Lavai, I will pave the way in a very significant way. Marvra Boisai, according to this approach, to me this answers the most basic question on this week's parsha, which maybe we'll speak about more on Wednesday. And that is Raboisai. This week's parsha is so smooth until it gets so choppy. What do I mean by that? Parsha's Vayeshev is nearly entirely about the sale of Yosef. And then, when it talks about the brothers threw him in the pit, and then there was a caravan of Ishmaelites, and they sold them to the Yishmaelim, and uh, r- when we get up to Ravi, and then we go to Chamishi, the problem is from Ravi to Chamishi is the longest commercial you ever saw. It interrupts the regular flow of the parsha to tell you a little story. By the way, Yehuda went down and he met a guy, Anish Adulami, named Chira. And Yehuda saw a woman, Shua, and he married her and he had two kids, Aaron Oinon. And Aaron Oinon got married and they died and they had a third uh, there was a third brother named Shela. Er's wife was Tamar, and Oinon wanted to be Miyabim Tamar, but he didn't live with her. And now Tamar is a double Yavama. By the way, the Rashi Tevois of the opening words of this week's parsha, Vayeshev Yaakov Biaretz Megure, is Rashi Tevois Yibum because this week's parsha discusses Yibum. And it's the whole story that Yehuda has his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and nobody wants to be Miyabim her, so she poses as a Zoyna, and he lives with her, and uh, she's about to be killed, and Yehuda admits, Oh, Yosef, back to Mitzrayim! Rabbi said, what in the world is this episode of Yehuda and Tamar doing smack, randomly smack in the middle of Yosef's descent to Egypt? We just got, the story just got going. What is this, like, uh, you know, 
Lahavdil, <laughs> you want to keep people's attention. So you go from one one episode, you you shoot on on another place, and then you come back to the first one. And what's going on over here? Stick to the storyline. But says the Shlach this is the storyline. The whole reason Yosef is going down to Mitzrayim is to create the foundation for the Jewish people, prepare the Yesod of Klal Yisrael, be able to unify the nation in order for Malchus based David to stand up and and maintain Malchus Yisrael, Malchus based David. So once Yosef's on the way to Egypt, God says, that's all a hachanon, a preparation for the Malchus based David, which is comes about through the episode of Yehuda and Tamar. So Yehuda and Tamar is not a digression, but it is the objective of why Yosef is being sent down to Mitzrayim to lay the groundwork for the ultimate sovereignty of Malchus based David. The Chassam Soifer is quoted as saying in the Tamei HaMinhagim that the reason why Hanukkah is not mentioned in the Mishnah is because who redacted the Mishnah? Rebbe. Rebbe says in Shas, I know, me based David Kasina, I come from the Davidic house. And since he redacted the Mishnah with a heavenly spirit, in uh, deference to his holy ancestors, Malchus based David, although the Chashmanam were great, uh, great tzaddikim and pious individuals, but because they usurped the Malchus based David, in order to preserve and stand up for their honor, Rebbe did not designate a Masechta for them. And this is brought by Reb Shimon Seifer in the Chod HaMashulash. Many question this, that as if Rebbe was intentionally trying to take some type of revenge against the Chashmanayim, but of course this is not the meaning, but rather... Through the heavenly spirit, Rabbi Huda Anasi was, as a uh, scion of the Davidic dynasty, he was directed Menashamayim to limit, so to speak, their their honor and their kayach by omitting them from the Mishnah. But as we mentioned, ultimately they will have their tikkun because before the coming of Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef will, so to speak, be Moisar Nefesh and selflessly lay the foundation for the Jewish people, and lay the aside, which is the Midah of Yosef, from which ultimately Malchus based David can flourish and take root. So on this uh, Yom Tif of Chanukah, which is interestingly, on the one hand the Chashmonoim, they had some failing according to the Ramban, but Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar tells us Chanukah is from a language of Chanukah, inauguration, because it, no, it inaugurates the future Beis HaMikdash, the third Beis HaMikdash. So on the one hand, maybe the Chashmam went too far. But on the other hand, in inaugurating the third Beis HaMikdash, in that sense, perhaps, they set the groundwork for the ultimate restoration of the Malchus Beis David, that we should be zoichet to see, b'mhera v'yameinu, amen. Okay, shkoyach everyone, thanks everyone for listening. Everyone's invited uh, this uh, afternoon at 5, 5.30 to the uh, Igaris Hagra. Thanks, everyone. Marv Rabbi, say have a great day. Sure. Yes. So we said early on that Yaakov gave over his Torah, his, his limud.
Talmudim to Yosef, mm-hmm. not to the other brothers. Mm-hmm. So. so how were the other brothers qualified to make all of these halachic decisions about who's Moravimalchus, not Moravimalchus, should they kill him, should they not kill him? Where did they have the background to be able to to make those kinds of uh, decisions if they didn't have the Torah that, uh, that Yosef had? As a matter of fact, you could argue that if Yosef had the Torah from Yaakov, that what he was doing was more... Uh, based in halacha than what the brothers right, were doing. Right, right, good question. So, certainly Yaakov taught Torah to all the brothers, but Yosef had the Kesar Torah, that means he was um, the preeminent sage. And when it comes to halacha, you know, Hochem Achar Haroiv, despite, uh, yeah. Well, I'm not going to go there. All right. Okay, call to everyone.